from the Lord, and we praise God for it. How many of you were here on the Lord's Day? Wave at me just a second. You came back. That's great. Thank you for being here. And if you're from another church, I know where you were on the Lord's Day. We're glad you joined us tonight. Uh, when I come to a meeting like this, I try to pray that God will guide me to some part of the Bible where we could just live for two or three days because I found out something. People forget the preacher's sermons. Maybe you never do, but as a general rule, they forget the preacher's sermons. But if you can remember the Word of God, now that's, that's the thing you need to remember. And as I started praying towards this meeting, God led me, I believe, by His Spirit to John chapter number 15. And I want you to open your Bible with me again there tonight. On the Lord's Day, we were here twice, and uh, we'll review just for a moment. There's a little common thread woven through John chapter 15, and it is an emphasis on the Word of God. In fact, in verse number 3, it says you're clean through the Word. Everything God does, He does through the Word. How did He create the world? Through the Word. How does He save a soul? Through the Word. Uh, how does he bring victory in the life of a believer? Through the word. How's this all going to come to an end someday? People talk about the great battle at the end of time. Did you ever notice at the final battle when we're with the Lord, we come back with him, and the battle takes place, that we are all arrayed in white garments? How many of you think that does not sound like camouflage? I mean, who wears white to a war, right? And then it dawned on me, there's a reason for that. You're not going to be fighting in that battle you're going to be a spectator. The Bible says he will overcome by the word of his mouth. From start to finish, it is always through the word of God. And so we began our study of this amazing chapter, these words of Jesus with that truth. And then in the gospel meeting yesterday, we concentrated on verse 13 and verse 14 and verse 15 because three times in three verses, Jesus uses the word friends. Aren't you glad Jesus is a friend of sinners? I'm glad he's a friend of sinners because that means he could befriend me. And he's the greatest friend I've ever had. And tonight, with this body of believers, I want to back up. And we're going to pick up in John chapter 15 and verse number 1. And I want to bring you tonight to a truth that I'm praying God will use in the life of every true Christian in this room. How many of you know, I don't mean you think, I don't mean you hope, I don't mean you cross your fingers and hold on, I don't mean you're a church member or been baptized. I don't mean your grandparents were Christians. How many of you know that your sins have been forgiven and you belong to Jesus and he belongs to you? Would you raise your hand with me? You know that. That means you know your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life. Is that right? All right, here's what that means. It means that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, the preacher said a minute ago to the children, follow your leader. Everybody's following somebody. In fact, let's just make it real simple. Everybody on the planet tonight is following in one of two lines. You're either in Adam's line or you're in Jesus' line. You're either following the line of our first father, Adam, who fell and sinned, and you're following in that line of rebellion, or you've come to Jesus, you've repented and believed the gospel, and you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to testify for a moment before I preach. I'm glad to be in Jesus' line. It matters who you are following. But when you come to John chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to his first followers. And in John 15, he does not simply talk to them about how to follow. 
In fact, you remember from the very beginning, that's what he said. You remember, he saw Peter and, and John. What did he say? Follow me. He saw Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. What did he say? Follow me. What did he say to the disciples? Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. It's follow, follow, follow. That is the Christian life. And for three and a half years, they have been following. And now they, they've gotten up from supper, and Jesus has washed their feet, and they've left that upper room and walked down the steps on the outside of that building and now in the shadows of the night, they're walking through the cobblestone steps of the old city of Jerusalem and out the gate and across the Kedron Valley and across the brook to the Garden of Gethsemane on the side of the Mount of Olives. And what are they doing? They're following Jesus. But In John 15, Jesus doesn't talk to them about how to simply be followers. In John 15, he talks to them about how to be fruitful followers. Because the reality is everybody that follows Jesus is not a fruitful follower. It's the Lord's intent. It's the Lord's provision. It's what he desires and designs and deserves. But I tell you, everybody that names the name of Jesus does not exemplify the fruit that Jesus wants us to bear. And yet, this is God's way for every one of us. Look at the end of chapter number 14. This is how we know where they're going and where they've been. What's the last words? Read the last phrase of John 14 with me, would you, church? Arise, let us go hence. They got up. Leave the upper room. They're now on their way to the greatest prayer meeting they have ever been to. It was the last prayer meeting they would be in with Jesus before his death. And along the path, through the vineyards perhaps, Jesus says, John 15 verse 1, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. I love this. First words out of his mouth once they start walking, Jesus said, let me tell you about me and my father. Would you like to know God better? I want to know God better. Then you must know Jesus, and through Jesus you come to know the father. Can you hear him? I am. <laughs> Peter perked up and said, I've heard those words before. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. That's really interesting to a bunch of Jewish boys. You know why that is? Because all through the Old Testament, you know who the vine was? Israel. The nation of Israel was seen as the vine. This is really important. Jesus says, I want you fellows to understand something. This is not about a nation. This is not about a group. This is not about an organization. This is about me. You will know the true vine. You will know the righteous vine. You will know the vine that only produces good fruit. I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. And then you come to verse number 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And I love this. Oh, I love this. In verse 1, you got Jesus and you got the Father. But in verse 2, you have yourself. You understand, when you open the Word of God, you see God in the Word. But when you open the Word of God, you see yourself in the Word. It's a mirror. Don't you love to find yourself in the Bible? And Jesus says, I want you to know I'm the vine. And my Father, he's the husbandman, he's the gardener. He's tending this, this vineyard, but I want you to know you're one of the branches. And if you're one of the branches, here is the Father's will. I want you to bear fruit. In fact, would you take your pen, and in verse number 2, would you mark the word fruit? Every branch that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Fruit, fruit, fruit. How many of you think he's trying to tell us something? 
He doesn't just want you to be a follower. He wants you to be a fruitful follower. Keep reading. Look at verse number 3. Now you're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear, what's that word please, fruit of itself. Except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He repeats it, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much, what church? Fruit, 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 fruit. Oh, now we're down to much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If, if a man abide not in me, he's cast forth as a branch and is withered and men gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. And let me tell you, let me tell you what that verse means. Somebody says, does that mean these people who are saved, that they end up being lost? No, he's, he's using typology here. He's saying to these followers, you do understand that you could live your whole life, and if you never bring forth any fruit, when you stand before the Lord Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ, everything you've lived your life for withers away and burns up and is nothing but ash when you meet God someday. I don't know about you. I don't want to meet God with nothing to show for this life. I'd like to meet God with some fruit in my hands to give to the glory of Almighty God. He says you're either going to be a fruitful follower or you're going to be one without fruit. May I just ask you a personal question? If you met Jesus tonight, would he say you're a fruitful follower? At this moment in your life, when God looks at you, would he say, not would you say, not would we say. See, none of us are what we say we are. And none of us are what others think we are. We are all what God knows us to be. I'm asking you, would the gardener say there's any fruit on your branch? Would the vine testify and say, I see fruit in you? You say, what, what fruit are we talking about, preacher? Well, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. I certainly believe that. And I love this emphasis we have in these, in these little teaching times before church on witnessing and reproducing after our own kind. Uh, I've been meditating on this today. What fruit's he talking about in John 15? It's a perfect Sunday school attendance. Is that what it is? Is it all the Bible verses you've memorized? What's the fruit? When you read John chapter 15, Jesus is leaving them but he's saying to them, I'm not really leaving you. I'm staying inside of you. Watch this, please. And he says, I want my character to be produced in your life. I want my beauty. I want my goodness to be evident in your life so that when God sees you and when others look at you, they don't see you. They see Christ living inside of you. Let me tell you what the fruitfulness of a Christian is. It is the fullness of Christ in their life. It is less of me and more of Jesus. And you walk through the grocery store, where's the fruit found, please? In a certain section, ladies, tell us. What section is it found in? The fruit's in what kind of section? The produce section. You know the great danger? We start thinking we produce it. Could I remind you that it is the fruit of the Spirit? Which means you don't produce it. You don't muster it up and you don't make it happen. No, God has to put the fruit in you and you bear it for the glory of God, but it only happens when you let Jesus have his rightful place in your life. You know what I'm praying for me right now as a Christian? 
not as a preacher, as a Christian. I'm praying that somehow God will get out of me all the things that don't look like Jesus. Because there's a whole lot of that in there. Now, maybe you've already crossed that threshold. If you have, congratulations. But I got to tell you, when I, when I look in the mirror, I see so much of my old man and the old nature, and I want to say, oh, Lord, get all that out of me. And how does that happen? How does that happen? Only as the new nature is being produced in me. Only as Christ is being formed in my life. Thy love, Jesus. Thy joy, Jesus. Thy peace, Jesus. Thy long-suffering, thy gentleness, thy goodness, thy faith, thy meekness, thy temperance, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I want Christ to be so lived out in my life. I want to so grow in the Lord that the life of Jesus flows through my life. Oh, God, make me a fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. And I wonder tonight, is that true of you? I can't judge your branch tonight. Sorry, I can't help you because I don't know you. But tonight, the gardener's walking up and down these aisles right now, and he's got the pruning shears in his hand. Be careful, it's painful. You say, what's the pruning shears? You're clean through the word which I've spoken unto you. The Lord is walking up and down these aisles tonight and working in hearts tonight through the word. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to cut out of us all the things that do not give God almighty glory. So, not so we can hurt us, but so we can be fruitful followers of Jesus Christ. How many of you want to be a fruitful follower? Raise your hand, please. All right, let's find out how. Walk through the verses with me, would you please? Make yourself a list. Get your pen out. Find you something to write on or write it in the margin of your Bible. Let's just walk through. Let's just take what Jesus said. Number one, look at verse two. He says, every branch in me. <laughs> would you mark the little word in me? When you got saved, it's miraculous. It's mysterious. It's wonderful. When you got saved, Jesus came to live in you, and you were placed in him. Somebody say, well, am I in Christ, or is Christ in me? Yes, that's the answer, yes. In fact, you marked in verse 2, in me. Come down to verse number 4 and mark in me, and then I in you. Again, into verse 4, in me. Verse 5, in me, in him. Verse 6, in me. You getting the picture? We're in Christ, and Christ is in us. There is a, there's an organic union with Jesus. It's no longer me and Jesus. It's just Jesus and I are now one. That's what happens to salvation. I can still hear old Frank Sells uh, saying years ago, I'll never forget this, and somebody said, uh, if we could just get the Christian life down to two people, me and Jesus, and he said, wrong, wrong. It, the Christian life is not two people. It's one person. It's all Jesus. So here's the first thing. Would you write it down? Number one, if you're going to be a fruitful follower first, you have to be sure you're a branch. That's the most obvious thing. You say, why are you starting there, preacher? Because I'm not assuming everybody in this room knows Jesus as their Savior. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, we've raised a whole generation of people that we've tried to make fruitful followers who aren't even followers. You can't have fruit if you don't have life. And sometimes I think we're trying to get people to live the Christian life who don't even really know Christ. 
And I want to say to you, this is not about what you do or don't do. This is about who you know and what Jesus Christ has done in your heart. If you don't know you're saved, today's your day. Now's the accepted time. It'll make your calling and an election sure. Drive a stake a mile deep in the ground about your soul's salvation. Get this settled that you have that vital, eternal, spiritual connection to Jesus Christ. It's not intellectual. That's not academic. That's not church membership. That's not the heritage of the family that you grew up in. That is your own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I was preaching in New Hampshire a few weeks ago, and we had a good morning. People came to the Lord, and I came back for the Sunday evening meeting, and the preacher met me. He said, come in here a second. We walked in the office. He said, i got to tell you something that happened today. He said, well, the best women in our church called me this afternoon. And she said, preacher, I need to be baptized. And he said, how's that? And she said, I need to be baptized. He said, well, you've already been baptized. You're a member of this church. You've been working in this church for decades. And she said, I know. She said, but this morning, she said, in the middle of the service, the preacher said something about every person must have their own experience with the grace of God and know Christ for themselves. She said, I couldn't get away from it. I went home this afternoon. And she said, I started searching my own heart. And she said, I finally realized I joined the church and got baptized and said all the right things, but I have never truly been born again. And she said, this afternoon, I trusted Jesus as my Savior, and now I need to get baptized as a Christian. You know what that is? That's making sure you're a branch right there. So number one, you want to be fruitful? Be sure you're a branch. Number two, let God take away everything that hinders fruit. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. You've got to let God be thorough with you. Look at verse number two. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. You ever, you ever clip off dead foliage off something so new life can come? Sometimes God's got to eliminate so that new fruit can grow there. May I ask, is there anything right now that the Holy Ghost needs to cut out of your mind, out of your heart, out of your family, out of your life? Is there anything God needs to sever from you so that in its place can be formed the beautiful holiness of Jesus Christ? You waiting on me to tell you what it is? People come to service like this and wait on the preacher to preach on their sin. I don't know your sin. But what is the Holy Ghost putting his finger on in your life right now and saying, that's got to go, that's got to be taken away? Look, keep reading. Every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. You're clean to the word which I've spoken unto you. Let the gardener work in your life. You know what I love about this? The gardener's the father. You know, I'm thinking now when I was just a boy, I can still see my dad's hands. They always seemed strong to me, and yet they were always tender towards me. Let me tell you about the hands of the gardener. They're, they're strong. They know exactly what to do, and they can get the job done, but they're tender and loving. Look, God's not trying to hurt you. God's trying to make you everything he made you for. He's trying to make you everything he saved you to be. He's trying to make you everything he has for you to become, but you must let the gardener do his work in your life. This expression in verse number 2, taketh away. Mark that in your Bible. See that little phrase, taketh away? Did you know that that little phrase, taketh away, literally has the idea of lifting up? I grew up on my grandfather's farm. And I remember we'd walk through the garden together. They always had a huge garden. We'd walk through the garden together, and he would see plants that the plants had grown down instead of growing up. You know what I'm talking about? 
something had trampled on them or the weight of them made them lay over. All you farmers know exactly what I'm talking about. And what happens to them? They get down in the dirt and the rain gets on them and the plants spoil. Watch, please. They bear no fruit while they are lying in the dirt. And I love this beautiful picture. He says, God comes walking through the garden. Adam, where art thou? Can I tell you the same God who walked through that garden is walking through our garden tonight. Listen to his voice. Listen to him call your name. And you know what he does? He comes to those places in our life that have not grown up to the glory of God. They've grown down into the dirt. Hey, what's down in the dirt in your life right now? It's not going to bear any fruit. It's not going to get God any glory. It's going to spoil and rotten. It's not bringing forth any good thing. Let the Lord lift that thing up. Let him prune what needs to be pruned and prop up what needs to be propped up so that you can be a fruitful follower of the Lord Jesus. See, everybody wants the product. Nobody wants the process. Everybody votes. Don't, doesn't everybody vote? And say, I want to be a fruitful follower. All right. Are you willing to let the Lord remove from you what shouldn't be there? And there's a third thing. Write this one down, please. You've got to live in dependence on and obedience to Christ. It's all about Christ. We must live in obedience to and dependence on. That's faith and obedience coupled together. Look at verse number 4. He said, you can't have any fruit if you don't abide in me. Verse 5. Mark the last words of verse 5. Without me, ye can do what? This is very interesting. Not just connected, but in constant contact. If I went around the room right now and said, stand and tell me, are you saved? Tell me how you got saved. People would say, oh, yeah, I got that connection with the Lord. Oh, yeah, 40 years ago I trusted Jesus. All right, I want you to forget 40 years ago for just a second, and I want to talk to you about today. Because there's a whole lot of people living on yesterday's stale bread talking about what the Lord used to mean to them and how God used to speak to them. And I want you to know that the life-giving power of Almighty God isn't to be a past tense thing, it's to be a present tense thing. The life-giving flow from the vine into the branches must be every day if it is going to bear fruit. So what's the Lord said to you today? A man called me this morning from Oregon. He said, I just listened to a message, and he said, God's working in my heart. And he said, I just wanted to tell you something the Lord did for me today. I, it thrilled me. It thrilled me to hear it. Do you know why? Because that was a man who this day was seeking to abide in the Lord, and it was present tense. You know what abiding is? It means right now. Do you have a vital connection to Christ or just to this church? Do you have a living communion with the Lord? See, John 15 is not just about salvation. It's about sanctification. In our, in our salvation, we know, we know we're in Christ and Christ is in us. But John 15 is not just the glory of salvation. It's the secret of sanctification. Watch this. The Christ that you came to know as your Savior that lives inside of you now brings all of the divine resources into your life to produce every good thing. You can't do that without Jesus. You must live in dependence on and obedience to Christ. Now I ask you a question. Where's the Holy Spirit in this passage? Just scan the passage, would you please? Where, where is he? He's got to be here. He's the one who inspired the words. He's the one speaking to us tonight. He's the Spirit of truth. So where is the Holy Ghost? In verse number 1, you got Jesus. 
Jesus is the vine. Is that right? Everybody with me? And you got the Father. Who's the Father? He's the gardener. So tell me, if Jesus and the Father are in this passage, don't you think the Holy Ghost should be in this passage? He is. He is the unseen. He is the one whose name is not present, but his work is very present. Do you know who the Holy Spirit is here? He is the sap that flows from the vine into the branches. Watch, please. Beneath the surface where men cannot see or work, it is the Holy Ghost of God that brings all of the reality of Christ into my life. And I wonder, are you filled with the Holy Spirit tonight? Is he filling your life? Is he flowing unhindered through you? I love what Hudson Taylor used to call this. He used to call this the sap life. I like that. Uh, back home, we'd say, that poor sap, and that was always a bad thing. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But we're, this is not some poor sap. This is a rich sap. This is a wonderful sap. This is the sap of the Holy Spirit. This is the life-giving flow of Almighty God. And when does it come? As you believe and as you obey, because only the Spirit of God can produce the fruit of the Spirit and make you a fruitful follower. There's a fourth one. Write this one down, would you please? Come down to verse number 7. If you abide in me, there it is again, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. You want to be a fruitful follower? Be sure you're a branch. Let God take away everything that hinders fruitfulness. Live in dependence and obedience to Christ. And number four, ask God for God's will. People say, I just can't get any prayers answered at all. Well, maybe you're asking for what you want instead of what God wants. Spurgeon said the prayers God answers are the ones that begin with him. Somebody said, well, how do I know what God wants? Look, please, he put it in black and white for you. I love this. Would you look, please, at the two verses we just read, verse 7 and verse 8. You've got prayer and the word, and they are inextricably linked in the life of the fruitful follower of Jesus Christ. The word has to be in you would you circle the word words in verse 7 and then circle the word will in verse 7 and connect the two in your Bible? I'm going to tell you, you'll only want the right thing when you're living in the Word, and you'll only know what God wants when you're living in the Word. God always confirms His will through His Word. You want to know what God wants for your family? You want to know what God wants for your future? You want to know what God wants for your circumstance? You get in the Word, and you let the Word of God get in you. And when you do that, you can pray with authority and assurance because you're standing on good ground. You're asking God for what God wants to do. I love this. He shows us the origin and the object of our prayers. What's the origin? The Word. Let me take a little religious survey, may I? Be honest now. How many of you ever find your prayers are just kind of humdrum, ho-hum, going through the motions, saying the same old words, and you wonder if there's any power in it? Be honest. How many of you ever get there? Would you raise your hand? I'm going to tell you how to change that. You ready? Stop bringing your laundry list to God first. And instead, meet God every day in the Bible. Watch this. And don't read the Bible. Somebody says, I thought you were supposed to read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. Pray your way through the Bible. Take a passage of Scripture and turn it verse by verse into prayer and talk to God about what God's talking to you about. Talk to God about the Word. The Word will open to you. Your prayer life, heaven will open to you. There will be new substance in your faith because now you're meeting God in the pages of Holy Scripture. 
and faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Nothing transforms a prayer life like beginning to let God speak first and then us responding to God. And if the origin is the word of God, what's the objective? The glory of God. Look at verse number 8. The Father will be glorified. That's beautiful. Oh, Father, I'm praying right now. Oh, Father, be glorified tonight. I don't have to be pleased, and you don't have to be pleased, but God has to be glorified. I don't have to be loved, and you don't have to have fun, but God has to be glorified. I wonder, is my life bringing any glory to God? When people walk through a garden, when they brag on the plants, who are they really bragging on? Tell me, please. Who are they bragging on? The gardener. Those cherry tomatoes didn't do that on their own. Somebody tilled that ground. Somebody planted that seed. Somebody tended that plant. Isn't that right? I love this. When people walk through the life of a fruitful follower of Jesus, it's not you that gets the credit. It's God that gets the glory, and you're conscious, and they're conscious, and God is conscious that it's not us. It's all God. All glory goes to the gardener because only God could bring forth any good thing in our life. In me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Oh, but Jesus is wonderful. Jesus is altogether lovely. And the fruitful follower of Jesus begins to bring God glory through his life every day. I was reading today, Spurgeon said this. He said, prayer comes spontaneously from those who abide. It is the natural, I love this, the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Maybe our prayers don't flow because we're not really abiding. Maybe prayer is not spontaneous and just the gushing forth of the soul because we've not spent enough time in the Word of God and don't have a clear glimpse of who our God is. I ask you again, would you like to be a fruitful follower of Jesus Christ? Then write this one down, would you please, number five, live in the love of God. I love the fact that the first aspect of the fruit he addresses is love. Do you know why? Say it, church. The fruit of the Spirit is, what's the first thing on the list? It's always first. You ever wonder why it's always first? It's always first. Charity is the bond of perfectness. Isn't that interesting? 1 Corinthians 13, what perfects everything else? The love of God. You ever wonder why the love of God always comes first? Because love is not just something or some aspect. It is who God is. God is love. God begins to stamp his image on his children. So a God who is love, when God's in his rightful place and they look at us, guess what they see? They see the love of God. Oh, Lord, stamp heaven's love on my soul. In a harsh world, in a hateful day, don't you know we need a revival? I'm talking about an old-fashioned, heaven-sent, sin-killing, devil-defeating revival of the love of God. When does it happen? When God's children start being fruitful and living in the love of God. Look at it. Look at verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. So you got the Father's love, you got Jesus' love, you got our love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. It's the great motive for obedience. Do you see that? Now, I love verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be 
full. Wait, wait, let's go back. The fruit of the Spirit, number one, is what? Love. Anybody remember what number two is? Joy. Here's the the divine domino effect. Here's the spiritual chain reaction. When the love of God fills your life, the joy of the Lord comes right on its heels. I'm going to tell you the surefire way to be unhappy. Ready? Try to be happy. The most miserable humans I know are people trying to be happy. You know why that is? Because joy isn't the goal. It's the byproduct. You can't find it. God gives it. And when does he give it? When you fall in love with the God who loved you first. When the love of Christ constrains you. Some Bible teachers actually believe in the fruit of the Spirit, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and that all the other aspects are simply dimensions of the love of God. I wouldn't argue with that because this is the whole thing. In John chapter number 15, he says if you're going to be fruitful, one mark of that is the love of God. Notice where it comes from. It comes from the Father and from the Son. That's divine intimacy. But notice where it leads to. It leads to the joy of the Lord. Look at verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Hmm. Now we're, now we're hurting, aren't we? Everybody wants to talk about how much God loves us. Have you shown the love of God to anybody today? Because he said, I want you to love one another. Mark it, as I have loved you. Don't tell me the love of God has captured you and you're mean-spirited towards others. Say, so what kind of preaching is this? Revival preaching. Let an evangelist blow through town and preach on sodomy and abortion and every other thing that we're not doing. And, buddy, people say, that's right, preacher, give it to them. What about our sin? What about the sin that grieves the Holy Ghost of God and stops the fruitfulness in our life? What about that ugly dead stuff growing on your life that needs to be cut away? Let God get all that out of your life so that God can get the glory and you can be a fruitful follower. Almost done. Number six, write this one down. Recognize your place in God's work. Would you like to know your place? Come over to verse 15. He doesn't change the theme. It's the same. Look at verse 15. Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. How many of you think that's a lot of privilege right there? That God would speak to us and show us truth. But look please, with privilege comes great responsibility. Look at verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth what? Hmm. Fruit. And here's another level, and that your fruit should remain. In other words, watch please, that it won't burn up, that it won't come to ash, that it won't be nothing when you meet Jesus. You know what I shudder at? And I'm just being really transparent with you right now. I shudder to think that I could spend my whole life crisscrossing the country, holding meetings and preaching sermons and doing Christian things and meet God kneeling at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus to find out that all of it was a bunch of nothing because it was done through my energy and effort instead of his enabling, and it was done for my name instead of for God's glory. I say to you tonight, dear people, we must begin to live for what's going to matter when time is no more and eternity is all we have. You say you want rewards someday. You say you want crowns someday. It doesn't start with the crowns. It starts with the fruit. It doesn't start there. It starts here. Write this one down, number six. Recognize your place in God's work. What is our place 
we're responsible to be fruitful followers. This is not optional. This is mandatory. Like, this is not, you know, I think that'd be good for some people. No, no. If you're a child of God, this is what the Lord wants for you. Let's take a church vote. It has nothing to do with money, preacher, so don't get nervous. All right? We're going to take a church vote. How many of you think your preacher ought to be a fruitful Christian? Would you raise your hand, please? Well, hold on to your seat. God never intended that this man would be any more fruitful than any other man sitting in the pew. His work may be different, but the mission is the same. God is to be glorified, and Christ is to be formed in every one of us. One more, and I'll stop. Number seven. You want to be a fruitful follower? Look at the end of verse number 16. Right after he says your fruit should remain, there's not a period, there's a colon. It connects, it continues, that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. I love that. Don't you love the faith and hope and certainty in that? Number seven, believe God for the increase. You're talking about fruit? Not about trying harder, working harder. It's not about you. It's about him. Believe God for the increase. You know what I have come to believe? God has so much more for every one of his children, and most of them aren't going to find it till they get to the judgment seat. We're going to meet God only to discover how much he had for us down here that we never enjoyed. Could I talk to this church for just a second? This church has been here almost 150 years. Is that right? That is shocking. I preached an anniversary last year for a church. Been there 100 years, and I thought, good night. That's a long time. 150 years. Not too many churches in the U.S. can say they've been around for 150 years. I want you to know, I'm glad you've been here for 150 years. Now, y'all haven't been here for 150 years. I understand that. But I'm glad this church has been here for 150 years. But God's got more for this church. God wants you to keep bearing fruit right where he has planted you. But the only way that's going to work is if you let the gardener come through town and bring his hoe and his till and his shovel and start digging out the weeds and putting in the fertilizer, digging and dunging about it and making us pruned and purged so we can produce or bear more of the fruit that he produces in our lives. You say as a Christian, you've had a good time with the Lord? Great! Don't die before God's finished with you. If you're still breathing, the Lord wants more fruit and fruit that remains from your life. And I ask you again, are you a fruitful follower of Jesus? Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me all around the room? You must judge yourself now. You have to judge you. I have to judge me. And someday all of us are going to meet the judge. He knows, doesn't he? We won't sing tonight. We're going to pray. We're all going to pray. Would you let the Word of God work in you right now? Let the Spirit of God search you and show you? How many people in this auditorium would say, Preacher, nobody's looking now but God and you But I'm going to testify and tell you, I know I've been saved. I know I've been saved. Would you raise your hand high in the air? Hold as high as you can for a moment, would you please? With your hand lifted to heaven, would you just praise God for that right now? 
When was the last time you lifted up a holy hand towards God and said, thank you, Jesus, for not letting me go to hell? That's what I deserved. Praise God for Jesus. What a Savior we have. You may lower your hands, and I must ask this question. You've got to be a branch first, you see. Is there anybody here that would say, Preacher, I don't know that. I've been trying hard maybe to do right and do better, but I realize I can't produce the fruit without life. I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I've never been saved. Preacher, pray for me. I want you to slip your hand up in the air with mine long enough for me to see it and pull it right back down and say, Pray for me, Brother Scott. I need the Lord. I don't want to be lost without God. Pray for me. Anyone at all, I'm looking carefully. It could be somebody even watching online without Jesus. I'm going to tell you, you may not be where we are, but God is where you are. Trust Jesus now. Look to him in faith. He will save you. Wherever you are, call out to God right now. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Lord will hear that prayer and bring you into his family. Best I can tell in this room tonight, I'm speaking to Christians, so let's just get down to some spiritual business, shall we? Let's get right to the bottom line. Let's deal with the negative and the positive. First, the negative. How many Christians in this room tonight would say, Preacher, I'm saved and I do love the Lord, but tonight the Holy Spirit's put his finger on something in my life. I'm not going to ask you to tell me what it is. It's not my business. I'm not your priest. But you say, The Holy Spirit has convicted me tonight, put his finger on something in my heart and life that needs to be confessed and forsaken or yielded to God, something that isn't exactly like it ought to be that's hindering that fruitfulness in my life, and I don't want to live with it anymore and excuse it, Anymore and ignore it anymore. I want to be right with God as a Christian so I can be fruitful. That's me. Pray for me. I want you to raise your hand big and high in the air with mine right now. If you mean it, stand to your feet right where you are. Just stand up quickly right where you are. God bless you. Humbly, honestly, before the Lord. You raised your hand. You say, that's me. God's dealing with me. God's convicting me. Anybody else will wait just a moment. God's after me, preacher. you're standing, I'd like you to lift your head and look at me. I want to thank you for your honesty and humility. You know, I think our pride is one of the number one reasons we don't see spiritual fruit. We're so stinking full of ourselves. Everybody, including the man talking to you. And we want everybody to think we've got it all together, and nobody's got it all together. We need the Lord. In just a moment, I'm going to ask those of you that are standing to lead the charge to tell God what you told me. And I'm going to ask you to go a step further with him than you went with me. I'm going to ask you to call it by name. Call the sin by name. Call the area of your life by name. Say, yes, Lord, that's me. I want to be right and I want to be clean. Get that out of my life. Look, you can't expect the good fruit if you're willing to keep things there that will hinder that. Before I ask you to respond, would you just bow your head where you are and talk to the Lord right now and thank him for speaking to you? Aren't you glad God spoke to you tonight? Aren't you glad you're not beyond God speaking to you? Let's deal with the positive. Speaking to everybody that's in their seat right now, how many Christians here tonight would say, Preacher, I'm not only, I not only know the Lord. As far as I know, as far as I know, I'm right with God. But tonight I realize there's some steps of obedience and faith I need to take if God's going to bring me to the much more. Preacher, I don't want to be content where I am. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I want to be healthy in my soul, and I want to be fruitful with my life. Preacher, just count me in. I want to be one of those fruitful followers. I want you to raise your hand big and high in there with mine all over the room right now. If you mean it, stand to your feet with those that are already standing right now. You say, that's me. Tonight, I just want to say to God, God, you can have all of me, and I want all that you have for me. 
God bless you, dear ones. I'm standing with you because I want that. I want it. I haven't been preaching to you. I haven't been preaching to me. I want that. If you're standing, I want you to lift your head now all around the room and look at me. I want you to know this is what a revival meeting is about. It's not just hear nice music and hear a few sermons and go home the same way we came. This is to be changed so that God will get the glory. How many of you want God to get glory from your life? We won't even have any music tonight, not even on the piano. The only sound in the room is going to be the sound of people praying. I'm going to ask you, if you mean business and you're physically able to move, I'm going to ask you right now, would you leave your place from wherever you are and come join me in this altar? Come tell God what you just told me. How long has it been since you knelt at an old-fashioned altar? I know you can pray anywhere in this room. I know that. But it's good for us. It's good for us to publicly identify with the Lord. It's good for us to get out of our seat and our comfort zone and say to God, Oh, Lord, you've spoken to me, and I'm going to take a step of faith and obedience and say yes to you. Come talk to the Lord. Just come talk to him. That's wonderful. How precious and sweet to see. I'm going to be still. Would you talk to him right now from your heart, in your own words? Agree with God. Ask God to make you clean. Oh, God, get every ugly thing out of my heart. Father, it's amazing that you know the worst about me and still you love me. Oh, blessed be thy holy name. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the life-giving flow of the Holy Spirit. Have your way in our hearts. It may be all seven rang your bell. <laughs> Why don't you pick one right now? Could we all just pick one of these seven principles tonight? Pick one. Talk to God about that one. Let that be a starting point for you. Which one did the Holy Spirit really just send like an arrow to your heart? and It rings in your soul right now, and you think, man, i gotta, I got to give more attention to that. Is it the Word? Is it prayer? Is it faith? Is it the love of God? What is it? Begin there, Lord. Have your way with me in that. Have your way with me in that. Lord, we gladly and boldly tonight identify as followers of Jesus, but we don't want to just be followers. We want to be fruitful followers. And as they followed you to the place of prayer, we come now following you to the place of prayer and we say to the Lord, Lord, have your way with us. Thy will be done. Make us the people that will bring you the greatest glory. And when people speak, may they not speak of us. May they speak of the Christ in us. May they admire Jesus. May they be attracted to Christ. And Father, would you help us to be so fruitful 
that many more will come to know you as well. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, and all God's